Episode 11 with artist Diedrich Brackens. Welcome to the Institute of Black Imagination. I'm your host, Dario Kalmus, an artist, writer, brand consultant, and generally curious fellow. And each week we bring you a conversation from the pool of black genius to inspire, engage, and help you unleash your own imagination. Today's episode is with artist and friend Diedrich Brackens. Although born in Mejia, Texas, Diedrich moved around quite a bit, having a father in the military, that is. Ever a tinkerer, he found his love for the fiber arts while in school at the University of North Texas, a craft and skill further refined at the California College of the Arts, where he received his MFA. Currently represented by the gallery's various small fires in LA and Jack Shaman in New York, Diedrich is, and I quote, best known for his woven tapestries that explore allegory and narrative through the artist's autobiography, broader themes of African-American and queer identity, as well as American history. Diedrich employs techniques from West African weaving, quilting from the American South, and European tapestry making to create both abstract and figurative works. In 2018, Diedrich was awarded the prestigious Studio Museum Wine Prize and made his New York institutional debut in 2019 at the New Museum with his exhibition, Darling Divine. His current body of work, Blessed Are the Mosquitoes, explores the impact of HIV AIDS on the Black queer community. This conversation, which was recorded prior to quarantine, explores his creative childhood as the son of a soldier, the humanity and histories to be found in textiles, particularly cotton, and the advantages and disadvantages of growing up without mentors. Please lend a receptive ear to this conversation with my friend and brother, Diedrich Brackens. Diedrich. Hey. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm wonderful. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Um, we are here in sunny, beautiful LA, which is um, not that sunny today. It's 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 a little <laughs> in and out. It's a little in and out, but it's definitely um, at least warmer than New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so to get started, could you tell us just a bit about your origin story? Where are you from? Um, where you went to school, how you came into your art practice. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, I, the, where I'm from question always like makes my mind flip around. Um, but I was born in Mejia, Texas. Um, I would say I'm from Texas, but my father was in the army. So I moved around a lot as a child, um, lived a lot of places, not that interesting in the country. Um, and yeah, so there's that's kind of like the beginning um, as it relates to art. Um, I studied textiles in undergrad at the University of North Texas, uh, textiles in grad school in San Francisco at CCA. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so let's so let's back up a little bit. Okay. So you were an army brat. Army brat. Moving all around. Mm-hmm. Um, a thin little black boy. 
with a, I'm assuming a father who uh-huh. was in the army. Yes. When did you first realize that you wanted to be an artist? Mm. Um, I don't know if it was ever like a conscious thing. It's interesting. Uh, I have made stuff my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, like, tinkers, like what? Like. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> the first things that I can tell you that I definitely made were clothes for my Beanie Babies. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I had an active imagination, played by myself a lot, um, but always uh, tinkered, cut things up, sewed stuff intuitively, braided things. Um, yeah, I was always tearing stuff up too, like, uh, if there were screws and something, I had a screwdriver, I'd like unscrew it, get into the inside of it, take all the wires out. Um, a pair of speakers, I remember, like the, the kind that sit on the floor, tore those up. Um, my dad was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> that was my next question. How did your parents react to uh, all this dismantling? Um, I think they were, they didn't quite know what to make of it because it was also as much as I like took stuff apart, I would like, keep stuff like dig things out of the trash like put them together and what and what age is this <laughs> <You look so shocked>. <laughs> <laughs> um i would say probably like second grade first grade is when it started wow but i like wow so this is early yeah like okay. board paper like bits of fabric string anything and like try to make stuff out of it um and like my parents were just like pack rat like that was how they saw it but i was like no i'm like making things i'm building stuff i'm like kind of creating this little universe or um you know spend a day like oh maybe i can make up a secret language like so i was always just like fascinated by my own thoughts and ideas about like how how the world worked or like what sort of fantasy i could construct out of this like junk and were you an only child no. <laughs> I, I have a brother. He mm-hmm. is uh, a year and a half younger than I am. Mm-hmm. So we, my whole life, have gone in and out of being kind of like close and connected. But I've always been like very specifically interested in doing my own thing. And have you th- have you thought about this idea of creating your own world and as it relates to moving around so much yeah um so for me i i'd say i'm sort of like right on the line of introvert extrovert so like i think something about moving constantly like being forced to sort of form community quickly and get to know folks um was a part of this kind of moving every two three years thing Mm -hmm. um but i think on another level is like probably deeply traumatic and like there's this other level of kind of like okay I have to be good in myself because like (laughs) there are going to be a lot of these sort of like transitional moments in life Hmm. and so you're deconstructing and tearing up your father's speakers (laughs) in second grade but (laughs) but that moment of like when was your first encounter with with creativity where mm. a conscious you know a conscious encounter with creativity where you're like this is what i want to do like uh-huh. prior to going 
um, you know, to undergrad, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, there, I'm assuming there had to be some pivotal moment. Wow. I, I mean, I, you know, I think for me, I would say my first inklings of wanting to create stuff outside of these kind of physical things had to do more with writing. Mm-hmm. Um, because I read so much as a child, I'd read anything put in front of me. I had this book of um, like Greek myths, probably in the third grade. Read the whole thing, and it was just like, "What is this?" Love Greek mythology. <laughs> like love Greek mythology. Yeah. I had a, a fantasy that that I would have a big house with twelve dogs, and mm-hmm. I would name them all after the, the twelve the Greek gods and goddesses. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. all of them. And um, then as they mated, like I would name the children. The children. And, yeah, after like <laughs> the nymphs and shit. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I mean, but I feel like there was something about like what was happening there. I mean, growing up as a like a church kid, also there's this level of. Um, read most of the Bible as a child because it was there, you know, and, mm-hmm. and being in church all the time, hearing these messages, um, that I, I think I knew that I was going to write very early, um, and I wanted to write creatively, um, and I think somehow as I went along, like, I just was in these spaces where I don't think you're encouraged to write as a child you 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 have to know how to write you have to write this essay um like you're you're writing for a particular kind of information you're not writing uh as a tool of Mm self-expression um and so i think there was no avenue as a small child that like cultivated that Mm -hmm. thing so i moved into art this other place where I could be creative and people were giving instruction and showing you these things and helping you foster that thing. Um, and so I think that, yeah, if I had had this, some sort of support for writing early, I would have like delved, dove headfirst into that. And do you think that writing is something to be forthcoming in, in my life? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, I try to write every day. Mm. It is important to me, whether it's like creative or just journaling or what have you. It feels like moving my hands in the kind of pursuit of language feels important. Um, and to me, it's so relative to uh, the way that I build narratives with the textiles. And it's interesting because looking at your work, they feel like poems. Mm-hmm. Even though the text isn't there, it's mm-hmm. so present. Mm-hmm. Um, and it reads with the kind of simplicity um, and elegance of a really beautiful stanza, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, that be- because of its scarcity, um, it allows for multiple interpretations from the same person like you can look at it and be inspired in a whole other way so i think that's um amazing so so you started writing what was the first medium like 2d medium that you started working with um i let's see what did i do 2d the first 2d thing i did um i think i made a lot of uh I made a lot of drawings and sketches, and I think 
I was never like the A student at it, I would say, but I think I had enough skill that um, it was rewarded. And so there was this level of like, oh, I, yeah, I do like this. I'm good at this thing. Um, but I, I think I've always excelled at like three dimensional, like understanding space and how mm. to manipulate an object through it has been sort of um, my like go to. I feel like I could like make a fish then draw one <laughs> <laughs> or like not with any like um, people would like it's a fish <laughs> right? but I think I could make a fish quite like come to life. <laughs> and, and, so, and so how did how did you get into textiles? And the reason I asked about the 2D work because via previous conversation, mm-hmm. I know that photography, at least as a part of your actual process, yeah. is a part of your process. Right, right, right. So I thought perhaps maybe that was something you encountered earlier. But like how what was that transition yeah, from like writing to mm-hmm. fiber? That's crazy. I forgot that I told you that. And it was making me think, like, I mean, my family both, like, never discouraged me making art. I think that there were things that I made that they were like, this is a mess. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's ah! not an art material. Like, why are you take like, playing with garbage? Um, but my aunt gave me cameras five years for five years of every like holiday that you exchange a gift, I would get a camera. Um, so I think that there was this thing for me as I got closer to sort of um, college or adulthood where I was like, okay, like I've been doing this thing. I'm decent at it. Like there's a job implied in the name. <laughs> it's artistic. It kind of checked off boxes. Um, but as soon as I got into art school, I was just kind of like doing all the general classes and I had no idea, you know, painting, sculpture, or all these, which way to go. Um, And I had a professor in a 3D class where she would give a prompt and we'd have to make a sculpture to kind of fit that prompt. And I was always, like every piece I made involved like an intuitive use of fabric or string to kind of make these sculptures and she was just like oh you're a fiber major and I was like I don't know what that word is like I've never heard this word what is this and so she like probably explained it to me a little and was like I think you should take a class and I was like teacher's pets I'm like yeah I'm gonna take a fiber class (laughs) um so the summer of my freshman year I signed up for the only class they were offering it was weaving and I went the day before like walked into the room, sunlit room, like color-coded yarn across the back of the wall, and like 30 of these like wooden metal machines in perfect rows. And I was like, I have no idea what this is, but this is like, this is it. Um, it was late the next day, and I was like, oh, I couldn't find the room. I totally overslept. <laughs> but it was like four days a week, five hours, five or six hours a day for like 10 weeks. And I just like wove every day in this room with all these other people who were like learning or like know how and was like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. Like, I love this thing that I didn't even know about. But there's something about the kind of built in sort of like structure and organization and rigidity and like this process of like you do this and this and this and then you have a, a, a thing that really just like spoke to me (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um 
Yeah, but it was in some ways by accident, but it did invoke a lot of these like memories from childhood around playing with these same materials in this kind of like um, intuitive way. And did you have other artists in your family or were like your mother or grandmother perhaps a seamstress? Like were there actual childhood memories of fabric? Mm-hmm. My grandmother taught me space. how to sew. Okay. Uh, my mother is like, um, I would say like typical of her time. Like the, the woman who like went to work and like maybe took care and maybe she did take care of me because she never hears this. <laughs> uh, but she like definitely was outside of the home, did not have the sort of like, wasn't like the supreme cook or seamstress or any of those things. But she was a modern woman. Right, right, right. Um, so it's like generation removed, I think, in the sense that like I was like, I'm going to school to do this. And she was like, we did that in home ec. You know, like <laughs> it didn't make sense to her mind that I would want to to do these things at first. Um, but yeah, my grandmother was sort of like that influence around like materiality, I would say. Um, but, but at the same time, everyone's sort of like, we have no idea where you came from, like in this way relative to creativity. Cause for my grandmother, it's like, I made clothes for my children you know like yeah. it's not like i was <laughs> it was a, it was a, it was it was a trade it was very functional right 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 um and so you, when you encountered these fibers these looms like what was that feeling i think it was a lot of it was that both it met with this idea of of creativity and mm-hmm. color and all these things, but also there was so much structure built into it that it felt, I mean, there was this like level of meditation that's involved there. And then it kind of goes up along all these ideas around like myth and magic. And like, it just felt like there was something spiritual already baked into the art form in a way that I don't think I've ever thought about painting something or um, trying to think of what other things it just didn't and what completely pushed me out of photography was that I, I took a history of photography class my freshman year and I was like oh this is fascinating but it does not engage with any of the things that I was like I don't know I didn't find the romance in photography after taking this class I would say um, so I think I drifted into I'm that. not taking any of this personally, by the way. <laughs> no, I don't think you are. <laughs> but I can imagine someone being like, photography is the most romantic thing in the world. But for me, it was like, oh, this feels so old and like slow and um, about kind of building sort of a, a specific kind of mastery and like sensitivity to, to like natural stuff that I really liked. Do you feel that one, the structure and the history has anything to do with your blackness and then also the way that you were brought up? Mm. Potentially. (laughs) And I'm not trying to be like, psychoanalyst but I'm just I'm just Therapy. like as you as you speak like I'm thinking about you know you kind of already started creating these worlds when mm-hmm. you were very mm-hmm. young um as a way to not necessarily 
have a sense of control of your environment, but in a way to have a world that you can always kind of rely on and have control over outside of moving around so mm-hmm. much, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to create these worlds, but then also just, um, you know, as both being, you know, black creatives, like being in America, there's a sense of remove mm-hmm. of where you're from, even though if, you know, if you know your history, your grandmother, you know, your great grandfather. Right. Um, but this, this love and desire for something that goes farther back. Yeah, you know, I think so. Quite, quite analog. This, this absolutely. Um, this, this love of a process that humans have been doing for thousands of years mm-hmm. um, versus photography, which is actually a contemporary art form. Actually, it's like right. very, very new. Yeah, I, I definitely think the kind of analogness of it is the most appealing satisfying thing for for me as like someone who like i mean i was asking you setting up the levels i was like you know what's, what's happening there because i'm just like you're just pushing buttons and looking at these thing jump and i'm like okay <laughs> um that for me it was like oh this is so kind of mechanical and there's no like you can see all of the parts and how they relate to each other and what like what is happening on the inside of this kind of um, like machine, if you will, um, that I was like, oh, I can in endlessly sort of like uh, make these decisions that I know then will do this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really kind of fun for me that like that tinkering aspect like oh what if i just like put this there and lift that instead what will happen um that i really loved um so let's let's pivot a little bit and speak about your work itself mm-hmm. um if you're if you're listening you know you should just google Deidre brackets <laughs> So you can see some of these beautiful, amazing tapestries um, that he creates. And but but thinking about one subject matter, like how do you approach a new piece um, via, you know, either it's a personal story, if it's a reference to something else, like mm-hmm. what is that process like for you? Um floundering define floundering (laughs) um i mean i think for me usually it's that i want to talk about a particular idea or i want to look at um a relationship between two people and what i think i often do then is like reach back for these other references like when we were talking about mythology or the bible and oh, how can I invoke that thing for myself? Because I don't necessarily think someone's going to look at the piece and say, like, the parable of whatever is what comes to mind. You know what I mean? But I'm like, oh, I can use those ideas to kind of, like, strike that right, um, like, emotion maybe in someone else. Um, But I think for me it's, like, I have this set of three things, like, I want to have an image of a snake. I want to invoke love as opposed to what else someone might think about with the snake. (laughs) Um, And then I need 
a rainbow. You know, I don't know. Like, <laughs> and for me, I know that those things add up to what does it look like to be a good brother or lover or father? Mm. But it's like this kind of teasing to get someone to kind of have a similar read of that thing. Um, but I guess it's, it's also this, what came up a little bit earlier about this idea of like distillation or mm-hmm. like what a poem perhaps can do, um, that I'm interested in. Cause I know that, or I trust that a viewer is going to come and bring all their own kinds of like relationships to those signs and symbols. Um, but for me, it like comes out of thinking about sort of my experience in the world, um, and what what I have lacked or have been rewarded with um, and how to make an image out of that. <laughs> um, what have you lacked? Mm, I shouldn't have said that. Um, <laughs> no, I'm listening. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think as a black gay man, like I've lacked a lot and I've, I've made up for it in a lot of crazy ways. You know, like I've made my own sort of like, community i've figured out what it is to relate to my actual family and the family i've chosen um like positive examples of i feel like it's easy to say positive examples of love um or like lasting relationships Mm -hmm. or like healthy relationships even if they aren't lasting (laughs) um i think are all these things that i still have questions about and i'm sometimes like maybe asking those questions through the work or um yeah but like what 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 specifically do you feel like you've lacked as like a black gay man i'm gonna Um, dig i'm gonna dig deeper mentors and I ask, I also want to say like fathership, like people who like mentors who serve this specific role around um, like what is it going to look like for me in thirty years, mm. or what what things should I be doing now, or how do I navigate the world that I live in right now? Um, and I think I think about that both in the role of like a biological father, but like this person who has actually lived it mm-hmm. um and i remember like my dad would always say like oh there's nothing new under the sun and i'd be like i mean now i'm like maybe not but like you can't ex- necessarily speak to like particular ideas around like being a black gay man mm. you know what i mean yeah um and the folks of your generation who could aren't here like to tell me either <laughs> that's, <laughs> or that's, not like in droves that's amazing um, yeah yeah i think I want to, sorry, there, that was like packed with so much. And so I'm trying to figure out like where to pivot because on, I'll, I'll let you choose. Okay. Um, one hand, could you tell us about your relationship with your father and yeah. how it plays a role in the work that you create? Mm-hmm. Um, it, my relationship with my father I, is great. It's amazing. It's like one of my, like the most important relationships to me and it has become more and more important as I've gotten older um and I think a lot of it has to do with like in a weird way expectations like I think the narrative around like 
black gay men and their fathers is that it's strained. There's like all these sorts of um, hydras of masculinity that keep them apart, keep them from sharing things. Um, I came out to my father in high school. He was like, I don't know that I like understand, but like you're my son and I love you. And like, if you're telling me this to be true, then okay. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, and I think that just, I mean, him being in the military, he is now a state trooper. There's just like all these ways that I think the world and myself, I built up like, oh, it's going to be this like crazy hard thing. Um, but yes, at every turn, like being an artist, coming out, meeting partners, like he's just, he's great. Mm -hmm. um, so there's this level for me of, like leaning into that support and like having this person who I can tell like I broke up with this person and this you know like that is like unreal mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and so like while he might not be a reflection of like kind of this wider like narrative or things that I might experience with other black men it's like oh like we have this special thing that's so great and um it feels like a reward that I that also like moves me to like try to discuss things in the work, right? So I, I think that it's it's never for me that I want to make a piece that is like one or the other, but like what is the kind of complication in the middle hmm. or like that tension for me? I feel like is what I'm usually after. Um, I don't know if I answered anything you asked me. <laughs> no, no, you know, you totally, totally answered it. And, and um, but I kind of want to circle back to like the other pivot point of this idea of mentorship mm -hmm. um, or lack thereof, mm -hmm. um, particularly as a black gay man. And I know that Essex Hemphill is a huge, um, not only inspiration, but a well from with, from a well from which, I draw. which you draw. I was like, which with? <laughs> I, I need to like finish my cup of coffee. Um, but you know, this, this idea of a lost generation mm -hmm. or, um, or a loss of mentorship due to just the devastation of HIV and AIDS mm -hmm. in the late eighties and nineties. Yeah. I mean, I think what I have come to is that, is that it sucks and it's terrible and there's so much that I will never know. But I, but I, at the same time, I've come to a place of like there are some archives, there is work being done by folks to sort of like um, uncover, revive, sustain those narratives and lives. Um, but at the same time that like um, it will look different for our generation that like it will come from like within our, ourselves to like find these answers and create these stories and that that this that the, the, um, about this it's like we then get to sort of prepare the narrative for the next and the next and the next and the next. And then right. also maybe that means that there are certain um, 
ways that we did. It's like, oh, like there's nowhere to start with. We get to build this world and decide like what gets um, passed forward. And maybe like some things that were not that great get like stripped away. Mm -hmm. um, mm. Hopefully. <laughs> and so what was that? What was, how did you first encounter SX, SX's work? And, and, and how did it move you or what did it open up for you? Mm -hmm. um, I found Essex's work in uh, undergrad and I was going to the South Dallas Cultural Center. They were having this, it was bi-monthly reading series, um, spoken word thing. It was called Queerly Speaking. And at the time I was just like, Okay, uh, like being at this like pretty white institution, and even like the the LGBT community I had access to was like very white. Um, and it was like, oh, an hour drive, I can go to this thing with like all these black folks. This is great. Um, and I made great friends with folks there, and I was like sharing my work with them, and they were like, oh, you need to read this book. And so a friend gave me say it was brother to brother and I read I read it and I was like oh my god this is amazing all these voices saying all these things that in, in some cases I was like had that thought or like I have no, had no access to this information and this is wild um, and it was uh, edited by Essex and Joseph Beam and so I was like oh who's this person and my friend was like and here's another book like <laughs> And I just remember that book in its totality being like, like mind blowing, like completely crazy in the sense that I was just like, how can this person who is like, who is gone and wrote this book, like when I was like not hardly born, be saying things that like relate to my experience. Like I just had never opened a book and had that kind of, moment even if I like enjoyed a book or thought it was great I was just never like this person knows me <laughs> mm. um and so that was really exciting and and just reading things that were affirming or like gave ammunition to like things that I experienced interpersonally with folks that I knew I needed to say something but didn't have the language and then like having someone be like these are those words <laughs> was just like unimaginable I don't know. I don't think I ever knew that. You, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I was just like, oh, <laughs> it's it, yeah. I I, I do. <laughs> yeah. For, for for me, it wasn't Essex. It was actually um, Dostoevsky mm, when I right. read The Brothers Karamazov because it was one of the free books in mm -hmm. Apple Books, mm -hmm. and so I just read it. I was like, they say Russian novels are hard. I'm going to start with this one. So I started reading it, and I was blown away. Like. Mm. I was like, how could this Russian writer in the 1800s be speaking the experience of a black boy from St. Louis, wow. um, you know, in the, in the two thousands, like mm -hmm. it just, it just showed me how universal, um, the more personal something becomes, the more universal it becomes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and how we, you know, 
I don't want to get into diatribe about the the illusions of you know race and gender and all of these things, but there's something about the word and there's something about personal experiences that strip all of that away. Sure. Um, that I just found incredible and and also intoxicating, mm-hmm. intoxicating because until you access these other minds, you think your thoughts are just your thoughts. <laughs> Yeah, and then you realize you are actually a part of a larger community mm-hmm. um, of, of of people who've had the same ideas for two hundred years, and then you also realize like the devastating fact that we do not change as much mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. as fast as we think we do. Like, yeah, he could have written the idiot five years ago, and it could have been just as applicable. Um, so anyway, um, how did? Um, this work or this encounter with Essex and, and Joseph Beam and, you know, brother, the brother change or shift the work that you were creating at the time. Mm. Um, I think it's interesting. You were talking about this kind of like idea about time and that it could potentially collapse um, because it was, at this moment, right before, I think I was like looking at a lot of this like historical stuff, trying to piece together um, a way to make work that reflected myself. And so I was looking at like uh, historical textiles from particular areas in the world, whether that was um, from the American South. Um, produced by folks who were enslaved or just out of slavery. Um, I was looking at these West African textiles. Um, so I was just looking at European textiles. Look, I was trying to find this way to like point to myself by looking at all these kind of historical things. Um, and then I found this, and I was like, oh, I can just make work about myself right now like I don't have to sort of wrap it up in um, like a a, a bibliography for instance (laughs) Um, and so that really drove me to like look at like how I actually lived what I was using in my everyday life Um, and it also pulled out some of the, the very things that drew me to some textiles in the first place um, so that I was like, oh, I don't have to use like the finest silk and wool. I can use like this, this stuff of my like life and in my home and from my community. Um, so I think it really kind of changed um, the ways that I navigated kind of like the politics embedded in fiber art mm. um, and gave me a different sort of like um, community with which to like talk to and engage with um and i started looking a lot more contemporary art as opposed to kind of um having to be inspired by fiber like i could make fiber art that had nothing to do with like kind of its history or like legacies um and it made me question all these ways that like um my mentors who were not like black gay men <laughs> were pushing me to do things that maybe like ask me to perform kind of like a, a particular like um, this is like put your trauma on the page as opposed to like put your life or your interests on the page 
Um, and that was like great. It was very affirming. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I got to this place where I was like, oh, I can celebrate all these things, not just like Negro spiritual and stitches. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you that's like that's 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 so dense. Um, <laughs> that's that's so dense. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I know I'm gonna talk about this idea of of of, of trauma and performativity uh-huh. that black artists have to wrestle with, mm-hmm. um, and that some lean into, sure, and some um, quite consciously remove themselves from but mm-hmm. this this notion that um we our only output is speaking about our pain essentially mm-hmm. um and that many white institutions and collectors only resonate kind of with that kind of work mm-hmm. or at least the idea mm-hmm. this notion that that's what what's been your experience with that or how do you feel about this idea um uh one of the like my own sort of tenets is that i try to make images that feel like it could have happened at almost at almost any time of like human history um, and so I, like, for instance, I would never include an iPhone or a helicopter in, a, in an image because for me, I want people to sort of uh, be able to time travel as they look at it. But the thing that I think happens a lot is because there are not um, things that suggest modern history present in the image. Um, people will read narratives into the work that are not there. And I mean that to say, like, that it is either uh, an imagery that happened in the antebellum South, or it is an image that has like occurred in Africa at some, at any point, for like a, a, a white imagination, I should say. <laughs> um, and then that leads them to make the make up these narratives that like just like really aren't present in the image at all, um, which I've. I mean, I want to say I find fascinating because that sounds more generous than what I <laughs> could say. Um, but I think even outside of like this particular moment, I've always gotten questions that feel like they mean to ask something else. So that like if someone's like looking at the work and they're enjoying it, but they want to offer some sort of like um, uh, criticism, they'll say like, have you looked at Kira Walker? And and the question, what they mean is like, why isn't there more violence, or why isn't there like more sort of like a, a call for grotesque, or like, mm. and I love Kira Walker, and like Kira Walker's been greatly inspirational. But I but I understand that the, the coded question underneath is about something else um, that they want to feel like there's some sort of like it's violence. It's Pain. It's traumatic on some level, um, which I—I I mean, I don't have an exact response to <laughs> to the underlying question. The the answer on top is like, yes, of course, I'm greatly inspired by it. You know, like, <laughs> um, and I'm trying to think what else happens that that's tricky. Um, 
I mean, there are definitely other things. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I, interestingly enough, I did not even make the, you know, the conversation happen between you and Kara's uh-huh. work. Um, but yes, this idea of, of, of silhouetting mm-hmm. and also kind of removing exact figuration. Yeah. Um, could you speak a little bit about that? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, and particularly, I'm sorry, and particularly these like very dense black bodies. Uh-huh. Like it's not like the um, like <laughs> Carrie, uh, Carrie James Marshall, right? Like, yeah, invisible man, like blackness. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess on on one level of it, it is um, you know, homage to both of them in the sense of like um, an imp- this impossible blackness for me mm. feels like a great vehicle with which to think about. Um, both black skin, but also this kind of um, shadow or void or like this space that like the viewer can jump into. Um, and I, I don't know, that gets tricky for me because I, like, I actually like that and I think it is generous and offers something to um, the viewer. But then I get into this place from like by if I frame it that way, then I think I run into this place where um, if if and when I make images that sort of evoke violence or trauma, like, does it a little... What am I saying about a white person being able to sort of jump into, quote-unquote, this body um, or narrative that makes me feel uneasy? <laughs> and, I don't, and I guess for me it is both that I am, I am saying that, but I'm not saying that i'm not saying like this is on view for your pleasure and like um, consumption in a very particular way as much as it's like i have stories that i need to tell and like i'm inviting you in to look at them um or share them in this way um all that <laughs> <laughs> no 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 i mean it's 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 interesting because even even though the the color of these these figures are, are, are in silhouette or black mm-hmm. i actually don't personally mm-hmm. read them as racially black people mm-hmm. they're just almost voids right in a way that exist on this plane mm-hmm. and um and and the 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 result at least for me is almost um it almost feels like alien mm-hmm. it almost feels actually even though you're using this very analog process very technologically driven mm-hmm. um and surrealist so yeah. there are you've created these images that actually do exist outside of time and space. Mm-hmm. And there are multiple histories that are collapsing Absolutely. onto one frame yeah. and, and visions that happen both internally, like, like in, in your mind and, 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 and images that happened in the external world. And it's all kind of collapsing, you know, onto this frame. So, um, You've used the word generous a lot, and I think in a way <laughs> that is not a read. <laughs> but I think I think you do offer like in 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 the simplicity of the work a sumptuous offering for the viewer 
to bring their full selves mm-hmm. into the work and whatever visual markers you put in there they can easily slip and slide in and out of those narratives mm-hmm. and it's not actually about race or the idea of race or any anything like that so right yeah and it yeah and i think for me it's on one level it's like the for me the shadow or the blackness is psychological like that it allows for the image to be read as this internal thing even if uh, about this idea you were saying around it slipping and sliding through time. Um, but I lost my thought. Can I say something specific about... Um, yeah, I, I think I want them not to be pinned down, but I don't. I also don't want them to be absurd. Like, I'm not trying to make an image just for it to sort of, like, be humorous and misunderstood but i do like that there are multiple sort of like reads at play at the same time and you spoke earlier i'm going to circle back you and in encountering um sx's work you say you said that you were able to or sorry um in studying the history of fiber actually Mm -hmm. um, and textiles you made this decision that you could actually just tell your stories actually Mm -hmm. and put yourself in the work and you literally actually put yourself in the work because many of these are self portraits. Mm-hmm. Um, could you speak about that? And then also like the figuration and the dual figurations, like are they both you, you know, is it older you talking to younger you? Is it you mm-hmm. facing you in the mirror? Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of self portraiture in, mm-hmm. in textile. Um, I, I would say that, uh, so there's a point in which I was just making um, abstraction, geometric abstraction usually. And at that time, I still spoke, like I used the language of um, portraiture to talk about them, which for me was just like so important. It made a lot of sense. And I think a lot of people like struggled. They were like, you use language that is about painting and photography to talk about abstract textiles <laughs> um but for me it was like textiles invoke the body they are they are on our body they do things our bodies do they like wear they show signs of age like, yes and i'm making them about these particular like places people and things um so once i started making the these actual figurative works that were my silhouette or based on my image, I backed away from calling them portraits. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that is like a, um, or self-portraits, I should say. I wouldn't say that they're not figurative. Um, because for me, it was not necessarily important that they were me. I was just like an available model, willing, you know, like uh, all of those things. And... I think I've made enough of them now that it that it still is no of no consequence to me, but I acknowledge that they are me. I would never be like, oh no, it's uh, um but I I guess because they also on some level reflect the questions that I'm asking, the things that I'm looking at, 
like it is me creating this world that is inhabited by me. Um, but I would hope that just in the same way that like um, it is of no consequence in some ways that they're black, um, that people wouldn't get like locked into like, oh, it's him. <laughs> um, but it, but it is just like a vehicle, like it is a body to show all these narratives that I want to talk about. Um, yes, I don't know. Again, I don't know that I answered what you asked me. No, I think, I think, I think we, I think we got, got, got to it for sure. Mm, we'll um, get it in post. Yeah, chop it up. <laughs> um. And I, I want to speak also about like the materiality, like cotton, uh-huh. and and feel free to correct me if I'm paraphrasing incorrectly. But just in doing research, you spoke about your grandmother growing up picking cotton, mm-hmm. um, and also this idea. So tying that history to the way in which you create now, but then also this idea of cru- using this history and perhaps connotations of pain and trauma to offer something beautiful um, and and um, elegaic. Like, so could you speak about that process, the process of turning trauma into beauty um, and what that means for you? Yeah, um, absolutely. That was pretty spot on. Um, I, yes, I have, as you get older and you, like, reflect on what people have told you, are you ever like, what the hell was that? Like, what What do you mean? Like, this thing about my grandmother, like, I is really, in the beginning, like, took to using cotton in the work because it has all these, um, uh, what's the word that I need? easy uh properties Mm -hmm. (laughs) like on a technical level that make it just supremely easy to work with it's one of the easiest materials um to manipulate on from a textile perspective it holds up well it takes color beautifully um it is predictable in the ways that it like creates a piece of cloth um Moths don't really love it in the way that they love wool. There's all just like all these things. Uh, so I really was using it at first because of these things. It's also cheap compared to a lot of other stuff. Um, and then, I mean, being in Texas, physically being there, you can see it in the landscape quite easily. Um, and I just remember talking to my grandmother as a child about all these different things that now I'm like, <laughs> that I'm like now an informed quote unquote adult. Um, but she would tell me about like, yeah, I picked cotton. Um, like in the summers when you're out of school, that's what you would do. You'd have to get this much in a day, blah, 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 blah. Um, and, and, and when was this like time wise? Like what era? This would have been in the 40s, 50s. Shit. Yeah. Okay. Um, Girlfriend's. Girls coming home from high school to go pick cotton <laughs> in the 40s and 50s. Middle school? Ooh. Elementary school? Wow. Um, wow. I don't know about, like, the labor parts yeah. of, like, okay. now, I'm like just... if that was, you know what I mean? But she's like, yes, like, I this happened. And she would be like, oh, you know, you wrap your hands so that when you're, like, pulling it out of the bowl, they don't get, like, all eaten up by the, I don't know, thorns or whatever, the, the sharp parts. 
Um, I heard this story as a child and was just like, okay. And then later in life was like, wait a minute, can we talk about this again? She was like, yeah. You know, and I was just like, this is wild. And like other family members, the quote does say my grandmother, there are other members of my family her age or older who have these same stories of of cotton and other like crops and stuff but like the one that of course stands out to me is cotton um is specifically because there's a like a labor component embedded in it that are that is not embedded in others and in the kind of like backbreakingness of it i would say um and i'm like here i am working with this material like seems so crazy to be sort of like on opposite sides of experiencing what it is to kind of grapple with this thing on a day-to-day basis. And for me, it is like, I am able to like in no real way, but in some sort of like magical sort of psychic level, like offer something back to these people who well after slavery were like doing this thing that I would just like had no image of people doing like, Picking cotton. <laughs> and, and, and could you talk a bit more about like um, beauty and how you view it in your work? It's almost kind of like a dirty word in, mm-hmm. uh, in art. Um, but how do you view beauty? Yeah. I, I, and the role that it has in your life. I would say it's, it's that we would say beauty is a, is a four letter word, uh, spirituality, like um, putting your own narrative. Like all of these things, I think the art world is sort of like, oh, like that's not how you make art or whatever that I actually like run right into on accident. Um, Yeah, just because for me, those things like feel so charged and important and uh, almost like this, they don't fit one sort of like there's not one way to tackle those things Mm -hmm. everyone kind of comes to their own answer around them so i guess with beauty for me it's like i am seduced by the color yellow and so i'm like okay i'm gonna build the whole piece around this color (laughs) and i will find what sort of like emotional thing or how the image works um but for me there's like an interest in like these kind of classical things uh around poses of the figures for instance so that's something that drives me and because I'm working in silhouette there's just like restrictions embedded on what image reads as a body Um, so I think I'm always kind of calibrating everything around kind of the restriction of the loom what what it can express what sort of line it's willing to make Um, and I, I often feel like early that it was just like, oh, I cannot get that perfect C curve or I can't get a sphere. Whereas now I'm like, it's the it's the art of approximation. Like everything's going to be a little off. As long as it's off in the right way, it's going to be beautiful. <laughs> I like this idea of, <laughs> of, of seduction because mm-hmm. even thinking about when you walked into that room full of looms it's almost like the material seduced you mm-hmm. yeah. and I think when I think about my work as well 
the actual object I'm using uh-huh. seduces me. Like if it's aesthetically not pleasing, I actually don't want to use it. Yeah. Like I actually started shooting film because I fell in love with the way that the camera looked. Yeah. And and then I was like, I want to use this beautiful uh-huh. object. I want to also see this object, you know, on my shelf. And I find that when things are not aesthetically pleasing, I just gotta go. I just don't want to even touch it or be seen with it. Um, right. But that's, but that's yeah. another conversation. But it's but okay. So the beauty thing, like today, even when you were like, "Oh, what did you have to do before this?" and I was like, "I had to go buy these satin covered buttons and like the purple. I should have bought them in so you could see them. You would hate them. Um, what? Why would I hate them? I mean, I don't think that they're. I don't think in and of themselves they're that beautiful actually okay um like they're shiny they're a nice color but they're not that great however um i think it's sort of like a quilting aesthetic or like a crazy quilt in the sense that i already know like all of the other things that they're gonna go with and i know that like they're gonna achieve they're gonna like be elevated because of how they will be handled the time spent um the sort of color palette of the other things the shape of the whole thing like they're going to work for what they need to work for and i'm like this person who's like there's 13 there's 13 empty butcher blocks here like i'm gonna buy all of them because i'm gonna need them for something i don't know what but i'm gonna need them for something later do you know what i mean like i'm just like that thing is gonna be so great (laughs) in concert with the whole like totality of the thing whereas i think often folks are like no way this like this stuff doesn't work doesn't go together it's not gonna happen and i'm just like no if you like if you put it together it is together like it is a thing (laughs) and you know and you know the 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 poison in that phrase is other people Mm. (laughs) (laughs) sure you know what i mean like and that's and that's a continual practice is is shutting out those voices Mm. Um, and I, I trust you with these little ugly purple buttons. <laughs> They're gonna be so good. But I don't. I don't want to. I also don't want to take up too much of your time. But um, to to wrap it up a bit, um, one, where can people find you or connect with you? Like, what are your social media handles? Mm-hmm. I think you have a show coming up. I do. You have a maybe a couple. Uh-huh. <laughs> um so um sorry i was gonna be like follow your boy uh, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> shout out to um, my mama <laughs> uh deeds weaves on instagram is my like place to be and i do i have shows coming up um I have a show at jack shaman gallery in new york that will open april 2nd and um, the show that I had at the New Museum last year called Darling Divine is going to travel to the Blanton in Austin, Texas in July. I can tell you the date off the top of my head. Um, and I'll be in a show at the Jack Shaman School this summer. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I love Curated the by Helen Molesworth. Okay. Shout yeah. out to Helen. Hey, Helen. Hey, girl. <laughs> Um, and one final question, um, how do you understand or view the idea of black imagination? Why are you asking me that? <laughs> I'm teasing. 
<laughs> That's a big question. Oh, Black imagination. Um, and you can interpret that in, at any level, like mm-hmm, how it mm-hmm. relates to you, um, how, do, how you've used your own imagination or the ways in which it has fed, fed you. Or the ways in which it can feed the world. I mean, I think black imagination for me is really in like the ways that like we're geniuses, like with materiality, with form, with an expression, like taking things that um, would otherwise be overlooked or disregarded and making them special. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much. Um, so that wraps up our interview with Diedrich Brackens. Thank you for listening. Um, stay tuned. We have a lot of more exciting episodes to come. Thank you all so much for tuning into this, I'm going to say soothing combo with the artist Diedrich Brackens. He's given us like Barry White and Tevin Campbell's body vibes. Anyway, send this episode to one friend you think would benefit from this conversation. And as always, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, which helps out so much. Um, Shout us out over on Instagram at Black Imagination Podcast. And if you're on the Twitter, we are on Twitter um, at Black Imagination, which is BLK Imagination. Tweet some of your favorite quotes and let's continue the conversation over there with the hashtag processing the pod. And if you're able to drop a few coins to support this work, please click the support link in the show notes. Thank you all so much for spending time with us today. And as always, remember that black imagination is liberation. Stay curious and keep dreaming.